acknowledge here in this place that you are strength, that you are concrete, that you are our firm foundation. There are times and seasons in our life by which we feel fluid. There are times of instability which we go through. And yet we confess that you are our foundation. You are our stability. Our life is built on the rock that is Christ Jesus. We declare that in this place. So we pray that there would be a shift in this morning. That you would move us from fluid to solid. And put our feet on the firm foundation. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Please take your seats. I love that song. If you, um, just a recommendation, if you do like your worship, uh, and um, the, listen to the house fires. Uh, so they come out of America, and uh, not far from Georgia, I kind of hear. Um, but also, they've got this real unplugged, spontaneous style to worship, by the way, it's not all about a controlled set, but they just love going, right, where are we going? And so it's well worth doing. They've got quite a few albums. That's one of their songs, if you like that song, and you can look it up as well. So, um, today I kind of want to start a series, um, and it's all focused on the topic, who is Jesus, really? So, uh, you'll see as we go, there is a a name that we're going to go through and develop. Because last week, we heard three incredible people give that that story of who Jesus means to me. Uh, And so, we want to kind of develop that so that we um, kind of help our love of Jesus. It's a bit boomy, isn't it? So, I'm just going to let that set. But um, anybody aware of voice activation technology? Right, so every, I don't know if you noticed, but we're getting slightly lazier. So anybody get Alexia for Alexa? I haven't got it for Christmas. Anybody get that? Yeah, so it's there. It's in front of your TV, you know, and uh, you suddenly want to play your favorite music, and you go Alexa, and you tell it what to do, and your computer listens to you, and it plays your favorite music. And you're, it can run a bath for you. It can switch your lights on and off. You have to have the technology to fit all that, by the way, and that's not cheap. Um, but there's a whole thing and developed thing of technology. And um, it can do loads of things. And I don't know what happens anymore because if I don't know anything, you know, what I do, I'll pick my phone out of my pocket. And uh, you can do this with your voice. You can say, hi, Google. You know, or there are other software products around just in case you, I don't want to be kind of, and, and you can ask it a question. And we're actually, I'm finding it, we're doing that more and more of things we know, which works to a point. If you're in the search of truth, um, hi Google, could you let me know what the truth is? Um, you're going to have some problems. Uh, you can try it as well. Anyway, this, um, somebody did this uh, online because they wanted to know who Jesus was. You know, and that's relevant to today's topic. So uh, this is called Hi Google, Who is Jesus? According to Wikipedia, in Islamic theology, God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator, sustainer, ordainer, and judge of everything in existence. Hey Google, who is Buddha? According to Wikipedia, Gautama Buddha, also known as Siddhartha Gautama, Shakyamuni Buddha, or simply the Buddha, after the title of Buddha, was an ascetic and sage on whose teachings Buddhism was founded. Hey Google, who is Jesus Christ? Sorry, I don't know how to help with that yet. Okay. Hey Google, who is Jesus? Sorry, I'm not sure how to help. Hmm. Alrighty, well, let's try this. Hey Google, who is New Age? 
According to Wikipedia, New Age is a term applied to a range of spiritual or religious beliefs and practices that developed in Western nations during the 1970s. Hey Google, who is Brahmin? On the website bbc.co.uk, they say, Hindus believe that there is one true God, the Supreme Spirit, called Brahman. Brahman has many forms, pervades the whole universe, and is symbolized by the sacred syllable Om. Most Hindus believe that Brahman is present in every person as the eternal spirit or soul, called the Atman. Let me try this again. Hey Google, who is Jesus Christ? My apologies. I don't understand. Hey, Google, who is Jesus? Sorry, I don't know how to help with that yet. Hmm. You probably need to call the programmers. So, okay, so who's a conspiracy theory right now? <clears throat> who's going there with some worldwide campaign to eradicate the name of Jesus off the internet? You can take that view, or you can just see it's complex algorithms. It doesn't actually have to work out there. So what we want to do today is we want to ask you the question, Hey, Bible. Who is Jesus? That's always a good start. I kind of think we have this in print. So if you're not all onto technology, you can actually pick up a Bible and find out the answers. You know, and uh, you can go, hey church, who is Jesus? That's what we're really all about today is just to kind of create that conversation, that dialect, so that we get to find out over the next few weeks of who Jesus is. So let's start in the Bible and turn to a well-known passage in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24, and this is a conversation of Jesus as he helps us understand who he is about. You notice rustling's getting quieter with technology, isn't it? You know, they should. Can we kind of put some software onto our phones so that it encourages ministers that when he says, let's turn to the Bible, it's not this, this tumbleweed moment, isn't it? So at least you don't go, shoo, shoo, shoo. that's why you take a picture on your phone, it's got a sound. You don't need it. Technology doesn't need the sound, but humans do. You know, so it's created for interest. Anyway, so Matthew 7 verse 24 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on the solid rock. Though the rain comes in and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds their house upon a sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And there are times in life, by the way, when the torrential rain hits us, when the floodwaters come, when the heavy winds, we, a few weeks ago, last night was a little bit windy, but a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was on a Saturday night, I just kind of had this... Um, it wasn't a premonition, by the way, because I'm not that organized in things, but I kind of looked, I thought, I'll go and put the garden furniture away, because, you know, I've got this kind of fairly cheap garden furniture. When, if it gets windy, it just blows it around the whole garden and smashes it to smithereens. So I thought, I'll go and put it in the garage. And off I did, put it all in the garage and locked it down, and it was just an incredible storm that night. And when it was blowing, I got in with Nathan fairly early, you know, because he was awake throughout the night, and I could hear this, and I heard this incredible crash. And I thought, oh man, that, that, I'm glad I just put everything away. Anyway, got up the next morning uh, and uh, we discovered that next door's trampoline um, had been lifted um, by the wind. And it hadn't just lifted by the wind, but it had blown across. It's next door but one. It had, the, the fence had gone down. It, it lifted right across. It blew across um, my garden, right? And it, it flew right across my house, just by the window where I was sleeping. Within, I, I work out within about four to five feet 
I know this because next door's garage is next to my house, and it crashed into next door's garage roof, ripped off um, the, the top of the roof, and then carried on, even higher on, and then smacked into, into the roof of the house, leaving a massive hole, and then just fortunately dropped down the side of the house, just missing the cars. You know, this huge trampoline, you know, do that. Because, you know, winds come. And it really kind of has this massive, powerful impact, isn't it? You know, and, and uh, some of you might have had a trampoline and realized why you need to put ground anchors in. And uh, it's a good idea uh, to do that. But often when we look at storms in the Bible, when Jesus is talking, we kind of look at it as the context of pressures in life. Uh, we can also look at it as judgment of God. And by the way, both are true. We just don't like the second bit. You know, the fact that God is judging us, you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we have a problem with that, you know, and, and you can take that wherever you want to uh, develop it. But when presses come against us, you know, be it storms or rising floodwaters or winds, you know, th- this kind of message and, and introducing Jesus into the storm is Jesus trying to say something to our life. Hurricanes, by the way, they lift 60 million or more tons of water and generates more power every 10 seconds than all the electrical power in the whole of the U.S. in one year. That's how powerful a storm can be. And if you've been in an emotional storm, if you've been in a storm about your health, you'll understand the power of how it rocks you because it comes against you. So I'm going to kind of throw some things out. What do you do when a storm comes? How do you respond to that? How can we understand something about the character of Jesus that's going to help us through the storms of life? Anybody heard of Thomas Edison? Well-known inventor, microphone, Thomas Edison, the phonograph, you know, so, you know, if your, if your phone now plays music, he was kind of the pioneer into that whole journey of technology into that. The incandescent light, a.k.a. the light bulb, all right, so the storage battery, talking movies, and more than a thousand other things, all right. 1914, he'd worked for 10 years on the storage battery. It had greatly strained his finances, and one particular evening, spontaneous combustion, combustion broke out um, in the film room, and within minutes, all the packaging compounds, celluloid for records and films, and other flammable goods were in flames. So the fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense and the water pressure so low that the attempt to douse the flames were futile. Everything was destroyed. Edison was 67 years old, with all his assets going up in a whoosh, and the damage exceeded $2 million, which he was only insured for 238000 because they were made of concrete and it was thought to be fireproof. So was his spirit broken? The inventor's 24-year-old son, Charles, searched frantically for his father. He finally found him, calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. It said, my heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67. He was no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? And when I told him I didn't know, he said, well, find her. Bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. It's fantastic, isn't it? You know, there's two responses to how we can cope with the storms in life. You know, we can actually be blown over by them or we can stand strong in the storm. Jesus helps us do that. I kind of, I'm often on Twitter um, or, or read blogs around. And at the moment, if you're on Twitter and you're interested in following a chap called Simon Thomas, 
Simon Thomas, it says on his profile, he's a Christian, he's a dad, he's a widower, he's a Notts County fan, he's a Sky Sports, uh, Sky Sports presenter, and he was once a member of Blue Peter. Okay, so that, that's his Twitter feed, and he's really active at the moment, and I, I can only recommend that you do that, because uh, two days ago on Friday, he posted a blog, and he's, he's got a blog and a Twitter, uh, and I want to read a section of his blog because it, it talks about a storm of life that you might identify with at some level. The blog's called A Grief Shared. On Friday, the 9th of February, it was said it was 28th of October, a few short weeks ago. It was about 11.10 on Saturday afternoon. And in 20 minutes' time, we were going live for a Saturday lunchtime game on Sky Sports between Manchester United and Tottenham. I should have been in the studio and in my chair getting ready to go on uh, at 11.30. Instead... I was slumped on the floor in the nearly disabled loo in tears. I was shaking. I was hyperventilating. The depression and the anxiety that had come out of nowhere in September had reached a fever pitch. And I was gripped by what I later came to realize was a panic attack. The pain-filled, disconcerting day was the last time I worked. The last time I sat in front of a camera and did the job I had done hundreds of times. This is the battle that I had fought in secret. This is the battle that I have struggled to admit to. This is the battle that so many secretly struggle with and too many feel unable to talk about. This is the battle I now have to face amidst the pain of the sudden death of my wife. He goes on to describe how he struggled with his mental health. And then he writes this. The next morning... I was dealing with the worst news of my life. My dear Gemma had been diagnosed with blood cancer. Three days later, my wife was dead, leaving me devastated. My precious boy Ethan without his mum. So why write this? Why, when I should be grieving, talk about this? I am grieving. It is the most painful, brutal, and lonely experience that I have ever been through. But I know from hearing the stories of us is that what I have been through in the life narrative for so many, and in particular, for men. But as men are rubbish at even beginning to whisper those fears and articulate what, it actually an illness, I, what is actually an illness. I didn't choose to feel nervous, wrecked back in September. I didn't decide work was more than I could handle. The only thing I chose was to walk out of the studio that day and find solace in the loving, encouraging words of my wife. But now I find myself confused and fearful. I'm grieving my dear wife, but at times also questioning where on earth I am with all the stuff that I'd battled before. I have no idea why I'm at, or how I'll get through this. But all I know this, as a lifelong Christian, I don't pretend to have the answers. But what I do have is a hope. An eternal hope. When I struggle to make sense of the mess of my life, when I ask how it can be that Ethan will grow up without his mum, I think of this verse in the Bible. Psalm 18 verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my, my rock in whom I take refuge. Right now, all I can muster is the strength to hold on to that rock and try my best to try and be as godly a dad as I can be for Ethan and trust that out of this fog of grief, all that I felt before will clear as well.
it, it is an incredible read. I would follow him on Twitter because he writes almost daily, you know, part of his journey that's both inspirational. But I, what I love about it is, 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 is that he takes pain and he brings God into pain. He doesn't put a veneer on it, but he brings God into the God of rocket. And it really is inspirational. And to read both, you know, over the weekend, I'm fl- I, I must share that story because what I'm about to do, and in fact, this, this message and what Jesus has got for us, is this is where it fits. Whatever storm blows against your life, whatever difficulty, challenge that we find ourselves in, there is a God whose name is Jesus, who is the rock, who can be your firm foundation, who can put you in a place by which you can be unshakable. Some of us at life may feel the need that we need to engage the services of a counsellor. And I kind of recommend that you do do that if there are times in your life that you do not sit alone and think, I must battle through this, you know, nobody must know. I, I, I think that there's a weakness in that. I think strength is to seek help in another. Strength is to acknowledge that you don't always have it in yourself to be the solution because we're designed by God to live in the context of relationship. And some of that strength might be that you turn to God, that you don't just sit in that corner going, I'm going to battle through this, but that you actually talk to it. If you sit with a counselor, some of counselors will, will throw up this picture I want to show you called a wheel of life. It's a really good, very simple tunnel. It's just a circle, really. Uh, and, and it's just got issues in life that you can go through, like your family, and your, or your work, or your finances, or your physical health, or your work-life balance, or your living environment, or your friendships, or your future, or even your spiritual. And what you do in the circle is, is you, you color in, you know, right from the center. And if, if your confidence or your satisfaction is low, then you don't color much in in that bracket. But if it's high, if you know, actually in my relationships with my friends, I'm really confident in that, then you, you fill that up. It's a really good wheel because it's a really good perspective wheel, by the way, because it allows you to look at your life and realize one thing. Not everything in your life is falling apart. It allows you in a point to, to wheel spoke, to actually, it's just one particular spoke. It might be my health that is the most challenged, but my relationship is solid. And I'll tell you why that, because that helps us focus on the area that we need to focus because often when one thing happens, how many of you think one thing kind of has gone wrong, therefore everything's gone wrong, my whole life is just, just a storm, you don't understand. How many of you have been in that place? You may not have demonstrated so well as I did there. You understand the emotion inside. I, I, I really believe that Jesus speaks into that wheel. Jesus comes in, and, and this is what I actually think God, Jesus is. I think Jesus is really good at taking his little coloring pen out. And when you spend time with Jesus, he starts to shade up, that you move in each area of your life from naught to one. Because Jesus breathes life into us. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. He comes in part, something in us, the heartbeat of God starts to beat, and suddenly whatever area where we're feeling low starts to rise. There's two responses, really, to the storms of life. You can either be like Play-Doh. Or you can be a tennis ball. I don't really know, but Play-Doh, by the way, when storms come, they, you, you know, if you stick your thumb in a lump of Play-Doh, it stays there. Some of us are marked by our storms, by which the storm comes, it makes an impression of our life, and we stay like that for years. Let me give you an example. Somebody speaks a word into your life that really offends you. That really gets into the call and hits your insecurity and hits the pain. And some of us hold those words for years. In fact, we hold them so much, we think about them daily. 
And all the way through, we think about the words that they've spoken, and then we start to own it, and then we start to ingest it, and then it starts to become our identity. And we don't just think about it, we start to live under that words. And they're not our words, they're not God's words, they're not healthy words, and we know that. But they hold us back. Play-Doh. Actually, the truth is, we're all slightly broken, and we've all got areas of our life where we look a bit like Play-Doh. But you know how God has really designed us? Designed us to be a tennis ball. I'm going to shoot two pictures. It's a slow-mo, really. Done. You know, tennis or golf, whichever one you like. You know, tennis ball, when on impact, by the way, it's designed to go out of shape. And there's an incredible thing about a tennis ball. Right? It doesn't just design out of shape, but it absorbs the pressure. It doesn't just absorb the pressure, but it comes back bouncing even stronger. How many believe that when you go through struggles with God that you can bounce back stronger? I believe that. You know, I, I think I'm a living testimony of that, isn't it? You know, a golf ball, by the way. Any golfers in here? I'm just interested because I'm looking to play golf this year. <laughs> it's a really hard ball, by the way. If you got one, hit one in the nut, you don't really want to, you know. But the truth is, under pressure, things like that, a golf ball, even that hard whiz with the impact on slow motion will absorb the pressure. And that's why it flows far, so far down the fairway, you know, because it absorbs all that pressure and then it goes even further than just sat on the tee. So Jesus... His design is to be a tennis ball this year and to be a golf ball because he wants us to get in the field of play, to go right down there. And this scripture that I read earlier where it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. They are like a person who builds their house on a solid rock. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation of life. And the simple premise of this message is building a house directly on a rock provides a much stronger foundation than a dry, sandy riverbed or flatbed. You know? And we, we know that. We've all been on holiday. We've all made a sandcastle, haven't we? You know, and two things have happened in the next morning when you wander around. Either the local hoodlums have gone around, stomped it to shreds, or the tides come and it's completely fat and you have to start again, isn't it? Jesus said, I do not want you to start your life again every single day. Oh, I failed last day. Oh, I just left it. I just got failed last day. I just got making things like that. Some of us live our lives like that thinking. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I've come to transform you. I've come to give you strength that every day you wake up going, what have you got for me today? I am designed to be resilient. I am designed to be strong. I am designed to come bouncing back with a comeback because God is in us. Jesus said to Peter, one of his disciples, Peter, who do men say I am? And it says, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Messiah. You can find it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus said, you're blessed, Simon, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You know what Jesus was saying? The rock is, I'm the rock. There's a phrase in the Old Testament called the Rock of Israel. That is Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2, it talks about the rock that Moses struck and water goes from that. It says that Christ is that living rock, the rock that traveled with them, you know, through the desert. Even before he was born literally onto this earth, he was existing at creation. He's walking with the children of Israel and he is the rock from which the water comes. 
that refreshing rock. It talks of strength and it talks of spirit and it talks of life. And Jesus was there. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock to whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Sometimes we need to run to God and say, would you protect me? God says, I can do that. I've been waiting for you to ask that for the last 14 years. Sometimes we think we've got the strength, and God says, you need to know I've got the strength. You need to know I am your strength. There's a chap called Augustus Top Lady. (coughs) It's a very manly name. And he wrote hymns. And uh, he wrote a song, a hymn called uh, Rock of Ages. There's a common story about that hymn being inspired by the time he was caught in a storm in Somerset, uh, walking up, um, you know, Cheddar Gorge. You know, there's a plaque in Cheddar Gorge, um, allegedly where the hymn was written, you know, uh, Rock of Ages. You know, when a storm came, he ran into the cleft of the rock. And the, and the lyrics goes, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Some of us this morning, by the way, need to acknowledge and, and just drop our pride and say, I can't do this in my own strength. I need to lean on God right now. I need to stand on God. I need to build my life upon his words. 1 John, or John 1. Turn in your Bibles to John 1. It's a well-known passage. It is my favorite. You know, because I, there is so much in this passage that can keep theologians going for years. I'm not going to do that, just to let you know, just to encourage you. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. Verse 14. And the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then it says that Word was Jesus. You know, how can that be? All things were made by Him. Verse 3. For by him, Jesus Christ, were things created. Colossians 1 verse 16. Which means Jesus was around at creation, by the way. He didn't just pop into existence when Mary gave birth to him. He was implanted by the Holy Spirit. He was present at creation. Hebrews 1 verse 2. God has spoken to us in his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in in a divine trinity, in a divine relationship, hovering over the waters of creation. And God said, let me tell you the Greek of that word in the beginning was the word. I don't want to keep it as simple as possible. The The Greek word is logos. Logos means the words of God, the living voice of God, the concepts of God, the ideas of God, the will of God, the mental faculty of God, the doctrine or teaching of God, the style of God's voice. So here's the theological principle. It's really, really deep. Jesus is the words of God. Jesus is the voice of God. Jesus is the will of God. Jesus is the doctrine of God. Jesus is the style of God's voice. When you look at Jesus, you hear God speaking. We think the word of God is that. This is just a tool and an instrument where Jesus has put himself into text that when you open it, you reveal it. Jesus, ooh. The whole of the Old Testament is the backstory to Jesus. The Gospels are the arrival of Jesus. You know, following on the letters from that, that's the people who follow Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He who is wise, who builds his life upon the rock, isn't just becomes a Bible deist, by the way. 
I don't really know what a Bible deist is, somebody who's more interested in the text. You know, you'll often see this when if you're talking with Christians. Suddenly, you know you've done something wrong because this is the Bible comes out. I, I'm promoting, by the way, Bible. I do read it a lot, uh, and I live my life upon it. But th- this, is, this is the key. When you see Bible deist, by which God is in the text, and more important than the text than anything else, by the way, because this is what it looks like. Anybody have the Bible shoved in their face and goes, right, this is it? You know what? The Spirit of Christ lives in this. I don't think Jesus has ever done that to me. I think Jesus has sat down. I think Jesus has said, do you want to read about me? Have a read. Thank you. I don't, I don't understand that bit. Okay, what don't you understand about it? And when I read the Bible and I talk to Jesus, let me tell you about the virtual reality headset. If you put goggles down or glasses on and that glasses is Jesus, you will understand this. It is the key to understanding the whole Bible. If you take Jesus away and you think this is just a good religious text, it would just be a good religious text. You pull Jesus in front of your eyes, suddenly we start to understand. See, listening doesn't change you, but doing does. That's the message of the wise and foolish builder. Enough listening, start doing. The power in the Bible, by the way, is not even in the reading, it's living it out. Actually, when you leave and go, actually, my attitude to that issue is not really as it should be. I'm going to change my attitude. There's power. In the name of Jesus. Talk as talk, but do as do what people talk about. But do as do what Jesus talks about. This is where we are in church. You know, Strong's is do. Go make something of it. Don't just listen, James says, to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. If you listen to the word and you don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror and you see yourself, you walk away, you forget what you look like. Interesting, really interesting, isn't it? If you look into the Bible, if you read that, it will tell you what you look like, which is why you don't read it so much as you do. Ever wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and you think, gee, you're getting older. Does that ever happen to anybody? Yeah? Put some more creams on, you know, just to get the kind of crow's feet away. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I need to have a better heart. I think my faith could grow here. The Bible's incredible at growing our faith. You know, it's got this real challenge to it. I'm interested in everything you know, but in the, the story of the wise and the foolish spirit, both hear the message of Jesus. It says both hear it, but both decide to do two different things. The bottom line is somebody says, I'm going to build my life on those teachings, and the other says, I'm not. This morning, you have a choice. You have an empowered choice before God to say, I can listen to what I was saying. I can go out and I can live my life on my Jesus, my foundation, and build my life. Or I cannot. I can walk away from it. And I want to warn you because for me, it says obedience equals intelligence. Because intelligence is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. Right, you think intelligence is the person who looks like the brain box in the classroom. Oh, it just knows it all. Do you know what? If the person knows it all and does nothing, that is not intelligent. That's stupidity. Genuinely, you know, so do not compare yourself to the person who's pretending they're intelligent. The intelligent person knows it and lives it out in their life. And that, in the Bible, is found for obedience of God's word. So how do I do that? How do I build a foundational life on the words of Jesus Christ? How do I move from listening to Jesus' words to living them out? 
There's a proverb that says this, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Do you know what my goal is as a, as a pastor and a leader is to teach you how to fish. I, 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 all right, forgive me if it's your first time in church, just give me a free pass just for now. I'm fed up of people just coming to church for their one meal a day, a, a week, and think that's going to sustain their Christian life. That, that will not all right? And that's not me having problems. I just know that as a fact. If you think this is all your spiritual content for the week, you're going to struggle. When a storm hits, you're going to struggle, right? I'm good, but I'm not that good. Because you need Jesus. Every day, you need Jesus. I am not at work with you. You don't need the words of Aaron. Hopefully, they're okay. But you, you need the words of Jesus in your life because it's Jesus, right? That when somebody speaks into your life, I'm sorry, love, but you're gonna, your hearing's 40%. You know, you're just gonna, you're gonna lose that, and, and there's nothing we can do about that. I love the fact that Jesus, in the form of Anne Marie's husband, says, uh, "I'm not accepting that. I think Jesus wants to heal you." And I, I like that, Bob, that you go, right, well, let's pray for this, and let's put our hands on, and let's pray that God opens the ear, because this is listening to the words of Jesus, not the words of a consultant. I love the fact when they walk in and go, I'm just going to tell you about Jesus, and I, I, do you know the best thing about that testimony? There is no scientific proof. That's brilliant. Scientific proof is, I, I can hear. How much more proof do you need? What he means, intelligence again, by the way. I don't know how that happened. Therefore, there's no proof. I just something in the Bible, you know, the blind man in the Bible says, I don't know what you're giving me all the time for. I was just blind and now I can see and it's his fault. But what a great testimony. We don't have to be perfect. We just need to let God shine through us and, and come through our life. So I want to teach you to fish. I want to teach you to take this Bible. I don't want you to teach you to put it in your heart. And I want you to teach you to be this flesh of Jesus walking around because that's what changes people's lives. You can give out a thousand Bibles in the society and you might have some come back as somebody who reads it, but if you're living the truth out, oh, that's the truth. Because that's how Jesus wants to live our life. That's why he breathes in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 14, 4 verse 19 says, Come after me and I'll make you fishes of men. Go and make all disciples. Like my goal this morning is not to get someone to put their hand up and go, oh, I quite like what you said, Aaron. You know, my desire and dream is, is that you become a follower of Jesus. That you go out of this and go, I'm going to follow the teachings of Jesus in my life. Three easy ways to do that. Number one, you can explore it. You can explore the words of Jesus in here. And I want to put you into that personal discipline. Go away yourself and go, I'm going to do that. I am going to observe the words of Jesus. Just by reading them, it's going to do you good. Because I can tell you by reading them, it's going to cause you lots of questions. It should do, right? You've been, if you've been taught you can't question the Bible, just change that thought right now because the whole thing is, how does that, how does that work, God? And Jesus said, I'm glad you've asked that. And he helps us understand the Bible. So you can do that through daily Bible reading. And some of you might do a Bible in a year, which is great, you know. All right, done that today, should it? No thinking required, just read it, I've done it, tick the box. Or you can read it and you can reflect on it. Now, meditation, by the way, is not some weird New Age mysticism concept. Meditation is just using your thought to think about what you've read. It's good. It is healthy, by the way. Just to give you a difference if you're ever worried about that. You know, re- taking all consciousness of, you know, awareness of that and emptying yourself of all reality, that's not what I'm saying. Filling yourself with the reality of God is exactly what I'm saying in meditation. That's what meditation is. 
you, you think on God and what he said. Fill yourself with the thoughts of God. If you do that, you suddenly your, your lens changes in the storms that's blowing against you. You know, and then also take some thinking time and start to study. If you're really keen on study, see me. I have got a tiny card that I hold in my wallet um, that I give to teach people to fish in how to read their Bible. It's a very simple Bible study mechanism, and it's so simple you can do on your own, you can do with a friend. Rosie's got one in a Bible. It's fantastic. Because I want to just, and it's got four stages on how to read the Bible, and if, if you're kind of, it doesn't mean if you're brand new, by the way. People have been in church. Um, just go, oh, how do I do this? It's a very simple four-stage thing of how you can extract out of the Bible what it is saying and a simple process to do. You'll see me afterwards, give me a couple of minutes because I'm in my office to get my pockets full and I'll gladly give them that to help you study the Bible to a deeper level. Second thing is you can understand the Bible. Now I find by that we're learning as a church that understanding comes through togetherness. If you study the Bible with someone, you stand a far better chance of learning what it's about. You know, the Jewish community have an incredible way of studying the Bible. It's called yeshiva. They do it as a threesome by which they study in threes. Uh, and basically, they have quite a learned rabbi, and they have someone brand new to learn, and they have somebody intermediate. And they forge these little friendship groups, and it's all about the Bible, right? And it's not just stay very quiet. Read the Bible. And somebody sits quietly. and If you ever see them in operation, it's really noisy. It's really interactive, and it's all about um, and sharing a conversation together in groups. So we're starting to do this as a church on a Wednesday night once a month called Riverside Academy. Because learning together is a part of our culture as a church. We want to open the Bible together and understand it more and chat it through and have coffee and cake and then discuss it and go, how's that work? And, you know, and we are learning, by the way, that in, when we do that as a group, our, our learning potential just goes up through the roof. You know, and so we, we've actually abandoned the system where I stand up the front and just do this long lecture and we go, right, here's the passage, here's the technique that we're going to do and we get into the Bible and it's really chatty and our learning is shot through the roof. You can come and join us when Academy is. We meet on the third Wednesday of every month to do that. Paul Gibbs, by the way, is one of our kind of persons who comes to the church regularly every year. He's incredible about discipleship and reading the Bible. He's coming on March the 10th for a weekend. You could sign up for that day and go, I'm just going to spend a day in this really active community to learn what he's teaching. He's going to be here on a Sunday morning, so you'll get to see him if you can't make the Saturday. And finally, what you can do is you can take action about the Word of God. Do not come into church and do not just listen without putting it into your life. Well, you can. You'll just be really frustrated. It won't make any difference in your life. You'll be forget what you looked like. But take it out of this place. You know, take the card. And once you've learnt it, give it away. Not just give it away to a random stranger, but give it away in the context of a relationship. Sit with them and say, can I teach you how to fish from the Bible? It might be somebody in church, it might be somebody out of church. Let me tell you, this works with both sides of the fence. Have the confidence, not just to be a disciple, but to be a disciple-making disciple. I'm going to ask the band to come if I can. We sang a song earlier, I will build my life on a firm foundation. Because here's the truth, at the end of the story of what I've just read, you won't like this point, but superficial discipleship results in total collapse. Right? So Jesus used the words great, which in the Greek, by the way, just means massive. If you have a shallow faith, Jesus says you'll go through a massive collapse. 
I did this just for fun. Casual commitment causes colossal collapse. So that was good. And then I thought dodgy discipleship delivers dramatic downfall. And then I stopped because I thought you just wouldn't cope. But bottom line is, you can hear the words not doing anything about it, and you're heading for an unshaky future. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my words and does them is like a wise man who builds his house. You can play. Oh, that's a good picture, isn't it? That's a scary picture. So in your family marriage, or your relationships, or in your singleness, where is Jesus? Is he just in church, or is he in that area, the wheel of life? In your work, in your career, does he ever get there? Do you just take a Bible in, put it in your kind of drawer and just shut it, lock it up, make sure nobody ever sees it, and then he never comes out again? Or do you take Jesus out of the box and take him with you and go, well, come with me today into the workplace? In your finances, do you take Jesus into your finances? Do you think he's bothered? Do you think he's aware? Do you trust him enough to tithe and give to God? Or are you backing it yourself on your own ability to make the money into your life? Or have you recognized that he's the provider of all good things? In your fitness, do you think Jesus wants to go to the gym with you? Do you think Jesus wants you to be a better version of yourself? I, I do. I think Jesus is right there going, go on, Aaron. You know, I lost a section of my lung last year, you know, and it's kind of decreased um, my ability to be as fit as I was. But here's the thing. You know what the consultant said to me? He said, well, Aaron, you know, you don't need to really worry about that. He says, because you can run a marathon on one lung. I love that statement because I took that out of the room. If I can run a marathon, I can run. It might take me a little longer to get there, but I, it means I can. Started running. Started going to the gym. Because God wants to be right there in the middle of everything. Your work-life balance, in your leisure, in your rest, Jesus wants to be there. In your living environment, in your home, with your neighbors, Jesus wants to be there. In your friendships, in your emotional well-being, with their current issues right now, with their past issues, take Jesus into those rooms. In your future, where does Jesus, where is he in your future? Take him into your future dreams. Your spiritual, in your personal spiritual things. Where is Jesus Bring him back. Some of you have left him on the sidelines. And Jesus says, when you're ready, sit there patiently. All it takes is for you to say, Jesus, come back into my life. Because that's all it takes to know Jesus in the first place. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've come into church this morning, and if you've not known Jesus Let me tell you, let me give you this one big invitation. Do it today. Take Jesus and say, I'm going to put you under my feet. Well, I started going to the gym. Um, They said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to run. So she says, let's build up your core. So she's given me this exercise and she puts me on the wobble board. And And you stand on the wobble board and it's like this kind of board on this flat. And basically it wobbles. That's why it's called a wobble board. and the whole thing is about getting your balance. And then she says, and then she says, stand on it. So I'm just standing on it. You know, in that first experience, it's a little bit new. And she says, now I want you to squat. And like, you, you get in your balance and then you, you have to squat like this. And then she picks a weight up. She says, now hold this weight. Now squat. And now do me 45 squats. Okay, it's about strengthening your core. When you first come to Jesus, it's like standing on the wobble board 
you realize Jesus is about to put some strength in you that you never realized you had. Because that's what coming to Jesus is. You see, sin makes you unstable. Doubt destabilizes you. Faith in Jesus Christ brings strength. Faith in Jesus Christ brings forgiveness from that sin and releases you to freedom. So why would you not say yes to Jesus? Let's do this right now. Close your eyes. I'm going to give you a moment to think about whether you want to say yes to Jesus right now to be your firm foundation. And there's a deal. Give your sins up. Give your foes up. Give your insecurities. Give your instabilities. And just say in your spirit, yes, Jesus. It's not a proper prayer. It's just, Jesus, I, I want you. I need you. I like you. I will build my life on you from this point. You will be my firm foundation. Teach me what that means. And while everybody else has got their eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let me know that you have made that statement to say yes to Jesus. And that might be the first time or you said it before, but you're coming back to say yes. If that is you, I want you to put your hand up just so I can see it right now. Anybody? Wonderful. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Great. Weren't you fantastic? That's excellent. Any more? Last point of asking. If you put your hand up, I've seen it. You can drop it back down. I know who you are. Anybody else? Great. Let's all let's all open our eyes. If you've said yes to Jesus right there, let me tell you, Jesus is gonna be your strength. And you might not know who's done that because you had your eyes closed and you weren't peeking. But that's a celebration that people have said yes to Jesus this morning. So can we kind of just say, yeah, that's great. Everybody stand. We're going to sing that song, yeah? You are my firm foundation. We're going to see that as a confession of faith because I want to send you out strong. I want to send you out knowing that it doesn't matter what comes against you. You're not on the wobble board anymore but you want your firm foundation, right? So you can move your legs. You can do some squats during this worship. It'll help you. You might want to stretch up your hands to Jesus. But let's live like Jesus followers, yes?